for some people, the idea of a chiropractor manipulating their body is terrifying, but for others, a good adjustment is the key to keeping chronic pain at bay, healing from injury and living their best life. I'm Kelly Youngstrom. This is Keep Yourself Well. How many of us grew up playing sports, hoping to take our skills to the next level? For me, that sport was wrestling. For Curtis Gerba, it was football, an avid athlete. From a young age, Curtis was a five-year member of the University of Saskatchewan Huskies football team, but that dedication led to injuries, which resulted in three knee surgeries and as resilient people do, he used that as motivation. I'll let him tell you his story. But today, Curtis is Dr. Griba. He's a chiropractor in Saskatoon, and he is here to join me now. Hey, Curtis, it is so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, Callie, thank you so much for having me on. It is, as always, an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to share some of your wisdom today, that's for sure. So you recently moved back to Saskatoon after graduating with your Doctor of Chiropractic. Congratulations. And now you're running your own clinic, E3 Chiropractic and Wellness, obviously, I love that you have wellness right in the title. So uh, I feel like that reflects so much more than what we may think of when it comes to just traditional chiropractic. So I want to know, what does wellness mean to you and how do you, Curtis, keep yourself well? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the congratulations. I'm so happy to be moving back into Saskatoon and finally being home. Portland was fun, but for the kind of past or the last six to nine months, it got a little bit rioty out there. So it was really nice to move back to Saskatoon when I did. Mm. And absolutely. So I purposefully put wellness into chiropractic. Well, it into chiropractic. It wasn't just something that I felt sounded good or anything like that. Like there is absolutely a purpose behind that. Because I think, in my opinion, people and it's likely a little bit of the profession's own fault where chiropractic as a profession can get a little bit pigeonholed into one specific area, one specific treatment. And that's kind of it. And that's all we do without looking at the body as a whole. And one thing that I always kind of talk with my patients is that in my opinion, our body is kind of like a bucket. And if you continue to fill that bucket with different types of stress and like to your body, stress, 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 whether that is emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, anything like that, all these kind of accumulate. And if we can work together to address some of those physical issues and put you on the right path and connect you with the right people to address some of those other issues, that is what wellness to me is all about. It's not just being pain-free. It's not just about, you know, being able to lift overhead or anything like that. Like wellness is so, so, so much more. I love that. I think it takes a really holistic, all-encompassing approach. And I mean, I know you and I have even had conversations about nutrition and obviously recovery and strength training and mobility. And, you know, I really think it's so much more than what some people stereotype chiropractic to be. So what does the three in E3 mean? Because I feel like that is reflective of the wellness portion as well. Mm -hmm. So the E3, 
the three E's are empower, enhance, and excel. And that just kind of comes in from the mission statement of the clinic, where our mission is to empower all of our patients to enhance their body strength and resilience so that they can so that they can excel in the activities that they love. That's a great mantra. Those are good words to live by. And something that I think was really important about what you said as well earlier was connect patients with other people that they need as well. Like taking a very multi-modality interdisciplinary approach. And that's something that I know, you know, you and I both having been previous athletes, uh, retired, long retired, I think the multidisciplinary approach is so important. And I think to have a healthcare provider who doesn't believe that they're the be all end all and understands that like teamwork makes the dream work in terms of that physical function is so valuable. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like I am never going to be the best at everything. And I don't think anybody ever should try to be the best at everything. You just dilute yourself as a professional too much. Like my, my area of expertise is like, I essentially have the goal to be the best in the world at treating two areas of the body, maybe three. And outside of that, that's when other, that's when I need to refer out and ideally refer to other professionals within my clinic, that kind of that compliment me, that fill my gaps and where I fill their gaps. And, you know, like just as an example, like if I have a patient, currently I have a patient who is doing really, really well. And then all of a sudden they kind of hit this roadblock. But then if you look at it now, they went for blood work and all their markers are all over the place. So am I going to be the best one, A, to be able to analyze and read that blood work? Like I have an idea of what's going on. I know what the normal limits are. I know what's outside of that, but am I going to be the best one to look at that blood work and say, Hey, you need to change this and this and this you're missing this. And in order to ultimately, you know, come to the other side and fully recover from what's going on, you need to make these changes. Yeah. You know, like you honing in on those two or three areas is going to make you the best professional that you can possibly be. And then having a network of people that are again, ready to fill the gaps that you're not the best in the world at and do the best that you can for the patient. Totally. A trusted team that you feel confident referring to people to. I think that is so valuable and something that I think not everyone embraces. Like it's not just in healthcare, just in business, because you're also an entrepreneur, right? Where the competitive mindset is so limiting to the client. And I think that's so valuable. So before we keep going, I want to just even start with to cover what are like, what is chiropractic in its truest form for someone who's never been to a chiropractor doesn't even know what because I know so many people have never been to Cairo, which is always shocking to me. But I think also more frequently, there's people who have been to Cairo, but still don't really know what Cairo means they've maybe had one adjustment one time, like when got their neck cracked, and then never went back. So how do you define mm-hmm. Cairo in the way that you do it? That's actually a little bit of a tough question to completely answer. Um, Specifically with how I treat, I suppose, because in the past, it seems that chiropractic as a profession has been synonymous with a treatment tool. And that treatment tool being just adjusting. 
And yes, like I all I tell every single every single one of my patients that an adjustment is an extremely powerful tool when it's the right tool for the right person at the right time. But that is not the only tool available to treat you. And knowing when to use that tool is just as powerful at, as being good at using that tool. So with how I treat, and I actually just had, I had a patient come in yesterday, his wife came in and as I was going through my treatment with my patient, his wife kind of stopped and she was like, well, like, is this chiropractic or is this like physical therapy? It's like, well, in my personal opinion, if you go to a really good physical therapist or a really good chiropractor, you shouldn't know which one they are. Interesting. Wow. And because my viewpoint of this is that in order to give the patient the best treatment possible, you truly have to marry both manual therapies, such as adjusting, such as soft tissue work, such as gentle massage or instrument assisted or cupping or anything like that with active rehabilitative exercises. Mm -hmm. So it's, I always have the conversation with, you know, other professionals and I tell them that we have to not only change the neurology of that body, but we also have to work to change the biology because the neurology is something that we can affect really quickly through those manual therapies, through adjusting, through cupping, through soft tissue work. Like we can pretty quickly impact someone's pain within five to 10 minutes. Like people can walk out in significantly less pain than they walked in because your nervous system is so elastic and it can change really quickly. But if someone comes in with shoulder pain and they have a rotator cup tendinopathy, just because they walk out of pain that day because we were able to affect the nervous system of the nerves that supply the rotator cuff musculature and everything like that, doesn't mean that that tendinopathy is healed. That tendinopathy needs mechanical force and that those tissues need to change. And that takes six to eight weeks for those tissues to change through strengthening, through force production. So if you are only doing one of those sides, if you're only doing exercise, or if you're only doing manual therapy, then you're not doing the best for that patient. You have to do both of those things in order to A, get that patient out of pain now and B, create a stronger and more resilient body so that they don't constantly get injured doing the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. A actual solution, not just a band-aid to the problem, getting to the root of it. And so you really take like a hybrid approach to Cairo. And I mean, you, I think have a very as do probably a lot of your colleagues coming out of school around this time, have a very modern approach, it sounds like, to Cairo and like the variety of tools that you have in your toolbox. So what was it that brought you to Cairo as a career? I know that you've had some personal injuries. Was that kind of the catalyst for you? Or what was it that made you choose Cairo above something like physio or something else within healthcare? What was the reason behind that choice? So initially, my reason for overall choosing healthcare in general was the injuries that I had as an athlete. Uh, so I was a Husky athlete. I played football. And at the end of my rookie season, I had a pretty significant knee injury that required three surgeries. Um, it was significant enough that I was actually on crutches, not able to walk for the better part of nine months. So through that massive ordeal, you know, in total, I sp- spent 
14 days in the hospital to manage my pain and everything like that, I got very interested into the body and into the healthcare system. So initially, after that experience, I was like, okay, I want to be a medical doctor. Then as I started to learn, I transferred into physiology and pharmacology. I started to learn quite a bit about the body at a pretty intense, in-depth level. And during that period, I just realized I started to learn more about the healthcare system. And I realized that the impact that I wanted to have with my patients wouldn't be best achieved as a medical doctor. In my opinion, it, that area is much more reactive. People are already, you know, if you're, if you're seeing an orthopedic surgeon, like you've gone pretty far past a lot of stages, like you've missed the opportunity for rehab. You've missed the opportunity to prevent that injury. Like you're already like it's happened. And, you know, and oftentimes people get struck by lightning. Like in my personal opinion, there wasn't anything that I could have done to prevent my knee injury from happening. Like my knee went backwards. There is nothing you can do from stopping a knee going backwards. No, no matter how strong my quads or anything were, that knee was going backwards. But I didn't want to be the doctor who only saw people as like the last resort and that's constantly you know oftentimes I do still see people at their worst but I I wanted to have an opportunity to see those patients through to help them to see them walk out better than they walked in and to guide them through that process to preventing future injuries so I knew that being a medical doctor wasn't for me so then I started looking at what my other options were. And the next two uh, options were kind of physical therapy or chiropractic. And it seemed like, especially at the U of S, the only option for many people in kinesiology is physical therapy. And I looked into it and I just kind of looked as to what you know, physical therapy is and what it does. And I've had numerous incredible physical therapists help me through my like through my rehab and through everything that I've ever had to go through. But when I realized what the difference in the scope of practice was, whether I was a physical therapist or a chiropractor, in my opinion, having an increased scope of practice was worth making the step because how I treat at the end of the day is still up to me. Like how I do what I learn and everything like that, I that's still up to me. But the education that I received as a chiropractor to the with the increased diagnosis knowledge and and the increased scope of practice to me that was the choice i wanted to make for those reasons and i wouldn't go back and do it any other way right and i think that's a big part of what i've always taken away in terms of how you describe your practice is it's not just about immediate functionality it's about long-term longevity and i always say the physical retirement funds, you know, you're really thinking about taking care of your patients now and ensuring that they're strong and healthy and, you know, living to full capacity for the future. So when someone comes in, do you find that the majority of people are coming in kind of as a reaction to something more acute? Do you find people come in like proactively, no acute issues? And how do you work in terms of prescribing frequency with someone who's coming in for what you would consider a proactive treatment? So for the most part, definitely the majority of my patients are coming in with that initial kind of reaction. They're like, oh, I bent over and my back hurts. Um, I had a patient come in recently. It's like, oh, I was cleaning my pool and 
they were in such intense low back pain that they actually couldn't sit up. They couldn't stand up straight. So I always kind of have that conversation with them typically in the first one or two visits where we go through that initial treatment protocol to obviously like my treatments kind of go into, I have kind of three stages of treatment. And obviously that first stage is we want to reduce your pain as quickly as possible. Then B that second stage of treatment is okay. Like let's, increase the strength of your low back let's make your body stronger and more resilient so that you're not prone to this injury and then b i'm going to teach you how to squat and deadlift because whether you have grandkids two of your own kids if you're picking up your laundry if you're picking up your groceries like you're squatting and deadlifting every day so let's teach you how to do that properly and then at that point we have that conversation is okay so what happens is we're going to slowly decrease this frequency as you get as your pain continues to go down, as you continue to get more self-reliant on your home care exercises, you need me less. There are still things that I can do to continue to help you, but you need to come in to see me less. And then once you are out of that initial acute injury pain, depending on the individual, I would recommend that wellness care more intensely than others. And again, depending on the person, like if I have a mother with three kids, I get a little bit more, to be honest, I get a little bit more vocal with, hey, I think that you need this wellness care because if, to be told, like I was, you know, my mom was the mother of three boys and the last person on the priority list on her priority list was her. So I kind of look at the, each individual walking in the door and I'm like, hey, if you're a mother with three kids, you need someone to be your voice for your wellness. And I'm going to work my best to be that for you. So I would encourage you to come in once a month, once every six weeks, take some time, take some time for you, make sure that you're doing okay so that you can take care of those three monsters to the best of your ability. Uh, I cannot agree more. And I swear you took some of the words out of my mouth. I mean, we're very different types of wellness providers, but, you know, the care of our patients for you, clients for me is number one priority. And I work with so many mothers and I feel like we have to advocate for them. And I say, give them permission to take care of themselves first, because there's this level of almost guilt. And I just try to like daily give that constant reminder of like, you have to fill your cup first. It's why there's the signs on the airplane being like, put your own air mask on first because moms never will. And, you know, I, my mom, same three kids. And I don't think she took care of herself probably till the day I moved out of the house, you know, just so selfish. So I love that you have that approach. And something that I was thinking about just in terms of some of the patients that I'm sure you see is like the chronic pain or even the acute injury that leads to so much pain. And Obviously, the majority of what you focus on it on is the physical, but I'm sure you have a lot of conversations about the, you know, physical or sorry, the mental effects of that pain. So how does that come up in your practice? And I mean, how was that for you even dealing with? I'm sure you can speak on that as an athlete. That was a really traumatic experience for you to be going through three, you know, three surgeries and especially to yeah. be put on hold as an athlete. Honestly, so like I'll start with kind of how my perspective happened with and then I'll transition over into like what I do with my patients. Because like for me, honest, like not to sound dramatic about it, but like my injury for me was absolutely devastating because all from essentially 
grade six forward, I was an athlete. Like I hit my growth spurt. I ran really fast. I jumped really high. The first time I dunked a basketball, I was in grade eight. Like from then on, like, yes, I did well in school, but I've put my efforts into like, I wanted an athletic scholarship. And then, so like I went through high school and I played like, I played on the provincial team for basketball. I played on the provincial team for football. And then in grade 11, like going into grade 12, I got five or six scholarship offers for different areas in the country to play football. So like for me, like I was a football player. I, that was me. That's who I was. That's what I did. And then all of a sudden, literally in the blink of an eye, without me having any say in that, that identity was quite literally stripped away from me. And so like literally it was in the blink of an eye i'm on the ground in so much pain like i one of the coaches described it as just like a primal animalistic yell and i threw my helmet across the field because i was in so much pain yeah. and i all of a sudden i started losing sensation in my leg because my knee went so far backwards i ended up tearing a nerve in my leg like the mental aspect of things like man like an injury destroy can absolutely destroy a person like it torched my identity like i couldn't walk for nine months like i went from being a super like mental like i wouldn't say mentally strong because my identity was misplaced but i went from being a really physically strong independent person to i literally had to needed to be driven places because like my knee was locked in my in a massive knee brace my knee was locked at of 10 degree bend. It was locked straight. And I had to sit sideways across the backseat of our, of my family suburban, because that's the only place that I could fit in to be driven around anywhere. So it was getting driven around. It was sitting on the couch, literally just contemplating everything that had happened to me and the things that I can no longer do. And like, yeah, it's, it's mentally it's it mentally messed with me for a very long time in a pretty unhealthy way because because I didn't have any any say in that all I focused on in the next on the next four to five years is trying to regain that identity and again in not a healthy way because for me I was still that football player I still I still needed to be that person so everything I did I worked out like I was still a football player I ate like I was still a football player and sure like yes i got strong and whatever but on the mental aspect of it i was never never ever able to actually let go of that and it lit like over four or five years of doing that like it just destroys you so when i and honestly i think more than anything like at this point in time for me to have gone through that i think is a benefit because i can look a patient in the eye who is nearly in tears because they're in so much pain that they can't play with their kids. It's like, I, I get it. Like I don't have kids, but I understand how not only debilitating this is, but how it just changes how you see yourself. Like you look in the mirror and you no longer see the same person. You no longer see the person that you see yourself as being. So I totally understand that. And it also really changes the conversations that I have with people, especially when it comes into people with chronic pain. Um, when it comes down to the conversation of, do you have like degeneration? Do you have arthritis? Do you have a heel spur? Like do personally, 
the last thing that I will ever do with one of my elderly patients, unless they have a traumatic injury. Like if I think that they have arthritis, I'm not going to send them to for an x-ray to find out because me sending them for an x-ray to find out that they have arthritis just confirms in their head that their knee hurts because of arthritis. And that's never going to change. Like there is a lot of research going out right now, specifically about arthritis, specifically about heel spurs. Like there is one study where they took x-rays of just random people they had zero pain all of a sudden they tell them that they have a heel spur and now their heel hurts like if i have someone coming in because they have low back pain and they're 60 years old the last thing that i'm ever going to have the conversation about is this is hurting because you have degeneration and you have arthritis because now they have that label that they're never going to lose and oftentimes like arthritis doesn't equal pain Arthritis means that you aged a little bit. Arthritis means that you had a long, healthy life and your body is aging normally as it should. We're all going to get arthritis in our low back one day. But whether that is painful or not is entirely up to how we live our life. What's your diet like? How are you sleeping? Are you moving every day or are you sitting on the couch watching the news for eight hours? And then with that news and with that negative information, are you now getting into a negative state of mind? Like all that stuff plays such a heavy role. Like they literally changed the model of pain into a biopsychosocial model opposed to just a hundred percent biologic or mechanical. So without understanding that, man, we can do our patients such a disservice. Yeah. Interesting. The, the cognitive link and just that empowerment that it allows you to give patients by not labeling it in that way. Yeah. Like I had a patient literally just yesterday where coming in with intense, like chronic jaw pain, he had a MRI for it. And I knew, like, I, I read the MRI report. I took a peek at the image. I knew what he was walking in with. And the biggest thing that he wanted to know is, like, okay, is there arthritis? And then, like, this turned into a really big, long conversation. And then by the end of it, he's like, okay, so there may be arthritis, but it, maybe that's not what is causing my pain. I was like, yes, maybe. That doesn't mean that you're always going to have pain. That yes, your MRI report says that there is some degeneration, but you're also on the back nine here. So like, let's take this with a grain of salt, with a little bit of grace and understand that we can still make some progress that that doesn't mean you're going to be in jaw pain for the rest of your life. Yeah. Interesting. So in terms of that, just cognitive process for you personally, moving from that identity shift, which I can relate so much to with wrestling and concussions, very similar same, same, but different. I didn't have an acute injury. It was kind of more repetitive over time. But the day that I got that, got to call it diagnosis was, you know, a huge shift. And a conversation I actually had earlier today was about early specialization in sports. And part of the challenge that comes mentally, because as young athletes, you become so ingrained and your identity becomes that I was said, I am Callie. I'm, I'm a wrestler. Like it wasn't like yep, I'm Callie 100%. and I wrestle. It's like, this is me and it is all ingrained. So I can't imagine. And when you have your whole future, so not only the physical pain, but then being, you know, forced to sit in silence basically and think about Watch like shark week. Yeah. Like your future really flashing before your eyes. So I know you mentioned kind of a five-year period that was really rough. So how did you transition out of that and get to this place of then choosing 
healthcare and how has your choice in how you move your body and take care of yourself physically, mentally, nutritionally changed from like Curtis, the athlete to recovering to Curtis, the chiropractor. Honestly, like that five-year window was a really weird time. And I remember to the day to like, to this day where I made the decision, I was like, dude, like you're in a weird state of mind right now. Like you got to do something off because like my head was so ingrained into football and I just had my third surgery on my knee. I was getting ready for another training camp. And like, I, like my body hurt. Like I was literally to the point, like I hurt every morning, just getting out of bed. And in my head, I was such like, I was still so far into the idea of me being a football player. I didn't want to be the one to give that up. All of a sudden this thought came into my head. He's like, okay, like you had one serious knee injury. Like you've had a bunch of surgeries. If you just get like another small one and then called it after that, no one would bat an eye. And I was just like, then all of a sudden, like I said that to me in my head a couple times and I was just like, dude, like you, that is an absolutely horrible place to be in. And that's a horrible attitude during that period. It was honestly just like overall a really rough time for myself, my family. So uh, I injured my, I had my injury. I had my knee injury in uh, March of 2012 and three months before that, and in January of 2012, my mom had actually passed away when I was 18. So like during that period, it was like, okay, like, and then of course, like nobody really kind of understands like the things that they say to an 18 year old kid. They're like, like everybody would come up and like, okay, like, we're so sorry. Like you have to be strong for your dad. And like, you're telling like an 18 year old kid, like, okay, you gotta be strong for your dad. It's like, that's essentially giving you no permission to feel your emotions. Yeah. there's no. So then in my way, yeah. So it's like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna, how I deal with my emotions is by working out and playing football. Right. And then that, again, that also got torched for me. So then it was like, finally, at, after all of this, it was kind of like, okay, like now is the time, like my, it was like, there was like a recommended person to go talk to. And I was like, okay, like at this point in time, when like, I was like, okay, if you get injured one more time, then you can quit. I was like, okay, now is like, I should actually probably like hop into something here. Like this isn't anything to mess around with anymore. Good for you. So you like actively suck out, we're like seeking out therapy or like a grief counselor. Yeah. And you, I know you're a mental health advocate, um, you know, specifically, I know you fundraise for Movember and there's a big focus on just the mental health side of things for men and how it's neglected. And I'm sure in that time, you know, going through your grief, the personal grief of the loss of your mom, that the grief of the loss of your identity, I mean, that is so heavy to be dealing with for anyone, let alone an 18 year old. And I mean, especially at that time, like how this went over 10, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, very much. So I think still stuck in that masculine, you know, boys don't cry just so kudos to you for like, I'm so glad that you took that step. And I can't imagine where your mental health would be if you didn't process through that. And, um, I, yeah. So what is, what has changed now in terms of, obviously you have, allowed yourself to find your you know new identity and your kind of authentic self so how has your mental and physical health changed in terms of how you move your body specifically with how my move i move my body i 
look at it as I'd move it in much more diverse ways. So like when I was a football player, you did your, you did your football workouts. Like you did your hand cleans, you did your powerful things. Like you were, you were working out to be big, strong, fast, and agile. Now, like, yes, like I need to continue to be strong, but I like, I currently weigh 30 pounds less than I did when I played football. Like, and that was one of the biggest reasons why I would wake up in constant pain is I had way too much mass on my body than what I needed. So like my movements and so like all of my exercises I do. So for the vast majority of it, I actually, I get my programs made for me by Ignite Athletics. They're fantastic. Like they're super intelligent. Love the guys there. And then I kind of like sprinkle in a little bit in my own thing. So like they'll do the great job with all my strength training and with the strength aspect of things. But in my and so like they'll do some strength and then they toss in some uh, anaerobic work for me too. But I always look for like kind of four areas of movement for like a longevity health type of workout so like yes strength is super important yes anaerobic is incredibly important but we also have to work at your aerobic capacity and then also your stabilization so working on like your feet and your low back and from like an aerobic perspective like the straight definition of it is okay like how much activity can you essentially do how fast how hard can you go while still in like a zone two area of activity where that's essentially less than like 130 to 140 heartbeats per minute or if you're getting like super nerdy about it you want to keep your lactate levels to less than like two millimeters per mole and then so like from the movement side of stuff that changed for me pretty big but like from like the mental aspect of things it was I learned really quickly that I cannot tie my identity to like what I do. It is a hundred percent like, yes, I'm Curtis. I am a chiropractor, but that is like, that is like, that is something completely different. Like even when I set out like my, my vision and my mission statements, like I purposefully kept those things like a little bit vague to the point where like, if I, you know, God forbid, if I get hit by a train and I can't use my legs anymore, I can still fulfill my mission statement and my vision statement. Like yeah. those things can still happen if I am not specifically a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all of those things kind of combined just kind of helped me kind of redefine myself and get into a better place for me, like mentally and physically to a, just not wake up being in constant pain and be just being, way more confident and comfortable with who I am. And I think there's a huge level of humility in allowing yourself to let go of that because it's not easy. And I think there's a lot of pressure not to, and now transitioning into not only being a chiropractor, but also an entrepreneur. I think there's so much value in what you said about not being totally tied to that as your identity, because I see it with entrepreneurs all the time where, and I've said it myself, you know, recently I've made a lot of changes in the last couple of years and rebranding and it's much more in alignment, but there was a long time where I, I would say I am my business, like the business is me, like it is all one thing. And I think that that can be a really slippery slope because very similarly, I mean, who knows what can happen? I mean, COVID's a perfect example. All sorts of people, absolutely, you know, had all of their opportunities swept out from under them. So I think that's a really great lesson. And I think probably too something um, that very high achievers, which I 
I can only imagine that in most chiropractic chiropractors are, I know uh, only a little bit about how much the school load is. So I think with high achievers, there's even more likelihood or more risk of that identity being so ingrained. So I think that's a really good takeaway. I had a question for you because I know so many people that I talk to who don't go to Cairo, they're very apprehensive and I would even like verge on the edge of saying fearful of being manually manipulated in the classic, what we kind of feel, I guess, is the classic, like full on adjustment, like on your side, their body weight on you, like cracking Mm -hmm. the neck. I know that freaks a lot of people out. So Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that? And what is an adjustment and how does that affect the body for those who are wanting to gently enter Cairo? Like the adjustment is not searching for bones out of place in your spine and shoving them back in. Like your spine is, I promise, perfectly aligned just the way it is. Part of the assessment that I do with my hands is called motion palpation, where I am assessing for the movement of your joints. And all of our joints should be able to move a certain amount. And if they aren't able to move that certain amount that they should, then we can feel that. And that is called like a joint restriction or a joint dysfunction. So what those adjustments that we do do is that they target those joints that aren't moving as well. And this can occur, you know, in many of the joints throughout your body, not only your spine. And we just help through that adjustment. We help those joints move better again. So again, nothing is being shoved back into place. We're just helping things move. And then what's often associated with the adjustment is like that popping and cracking sound. Mm -hmm. And again, with nothing being shoved back into place, it's not popping and cracking because we're like shifting bones or anything like that that would be called a dislocation and a little bit scary that's the kind of cracking you don't want to hear yeah the type of cracking that you really don't want to hear at all (laughs) so that popping sound is actually due to bubbles so all the joints in your spine are surrounded by a thick tissue capsule with fluid inside of it they are called synovial joints so again to thick tissue capsule with synovial fluid inside of it if we stretch that capsule far enough or and wide enough we are changing the pressure of that joint capsule and we can actually make a bubble form with inside that joint. It has a very fancy term. It's called tribonucleation. It actually occurs all the time. I'm like, that's where if you see a boat propeller with a bunch of bubbles coming off of it, tribonucleation. So cracking my knuckles won't give me arthritis. I actually just wrote a blog. I know you did, but tell the (laughs) audience. Will cracking, well, I'm, I am a, head to toe cracker yeah i think it's a bad habit probably just in the sake of it can be really off-putting for other people Mm -hmm. um but i'm an everything cracker so yeah so it's it's kind of like that catch-22 where the big thing that i think about it is like frequency you know if i see someone who is in like incredible amounts of pain the most i will ever see them is like maybe three times that week And that's like incredible amounts of pain. So how frequently do you crack your knuckles? (laughs) Exactly. Like, do you only crack your knuckles three times a week or do you do it three times within this hour? Oh, probably three times since we've been talking. 
Yeah. So then like the question really comes into it is there can always be too much of a good thing because as we are doing those adjustments, like, yes, we are, we are stretching that joint capsule and we are stretching the surrounding ligaments to it. So if you were to adjust your knuckles three times a week, I have no issues with that. If you were to adjust your, you know, self-adjust your knuckles, self-adjust your neck three, you know, three times in the morning, three times in the afternoon and one for good measure before you go to bed every day, for 18 years yeah then that's where the conversation turns a little bit different oh no well i guess we'll have to talk after this but i feel like i'm in trouble (laughs) (laughs) Um, and again like by no means am i going to say like you are destined for like arthritis or anything like that i think that that's the wrong thing to say but what research does show us is because like ligaments and tendons are elastic Mm -hmm. and if you stretch a rubber band like if you pull a rubber band out and hold it out there for 24 hours it's not going to be as elastic as it originally was so like our tendons and our ligaments elasticity so if again that's just one of those things that if we crack our knuckles over and over and over and over and over again for 18 years research does show us that the elasticity of those tendons and ligaments will change is that going to destine you for arthritis i don't think so but do we want to just have for no better reason just other than we had a interesting habit to just have really loose ligaments and tendons throughout our hands like it's not the ideal scenario we'd probably be better without it yeah not worth the risk all right well i'll healthfully taper back if i can the the last the vision the vision of the elastic will be in my head now every time i go to crack my neck so um okay i feel like there's i mean you and i both run our professional Instagram pages. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of, you know, unsolicited advice in terms of all modalities of wellness. So Mm -hmm. what is one piece of advice that you would give people on just how to live better and move in their body? Like what's one thing they should absolutely be doing, everyone should be doing. And one thing that none of us should be doing. I think the biggest thing that could easily change your overall like health and wellness is sleeping enough. And so outside of that, I'd say, okay, the two biggest things that you could do if you have kids and sleeping eight hours a night just isn't an option for you right now because you're up feeding every three hours. Like I, I get that. And then honestly, just exercise. Like if you can even fulfill like the requirement of 30 minutes a day, that's even in the worst case scenario, breaking it up throughout the day into five minute chunks into those four different categories. And like the lovely thing about like those four, excuse me, like those four different categories, like a proper anaerobic workout takes 15 minutes. Like that's it. And like, you can still research actually shows there was, I forget the exact term for it, but if you break up those exercises throughout the day, you actually get some really interesting neurological changes that gets you really strong at an exercise. And what about like a, what should we not be doing? Is there any sort of blanket statement? I don't know, error, flaw, or a, cup, a few, if you've got a laundry list, let them, ha- let us have them. But I don't know, just a, maybe something that you, we think is good for us and you think otherwise that you see as a common flaw. This could get into like a really interesting conversation, but a lot of the things that I see, maybe this is going to be more of a common flaw opposed to like the one thing that like nobody should do is like i see like one major common flaw and like again this can get into an interesting like nutritional nutritional discussion is i see a lot of people basing 
their diets off of like this healthy random tribe in somewhere that like across on like the other side of the country or like other side of the world. And they were like, well, if this person and this population of people is so healthy because they eat this, which just so happens to be like a native food to that person, to like to that area's land that is super, super abundant, that grows and like they only eat it when it's in season, do all this stuff. And like, well, if they can eat that food, why can't I eat it when I'm on the other side of the world when it's out of season and it has to be shipped doing this and this and this and this? For me, like I look at a lot of it from like an anthropological perspective, it's like, okay, well, those people have literally inhabited that area for like the last potentially three million years. Mm-hmm. And their body has adapted to consuming that food really, really well for three million years. They're great at that. We are not great at that. We can't base what is healthy in another part of the world in a different hemisphere just because they're doing great and we aren't. Well, and that's the thing. There's, I think there's huge merit. I mean, I think you and I agree on a lot when it comes to nutrition and there's huge merit to ancestral eating, but your ancestors are not my ancestors and there's huge differentiation in what that's going to look like. But I can't believe your one thing is a nutrition thing. I for sure, I thought it was going to be sit-ups. I thought you were going to say- Honestly, oh oh my goodness, everybody should stop doing sit-ups. Oh my, yeah. I needed to open up the door for you to have, I I had this question in here to give you your time to shine on your sit-up rant and you didn't take the bait. So- Oh my goodness. I can't believe I didn't think about that. Sit-ups are the worst. Sit-ups are the absolute worst. I mean, I appreciate that it was nutrition. Okay, give it to us. I have three reasons that nobody should do sit-ups. First reason is we'll start kind of like least nerdy and work our way up to most nerdy. (laughs) So like the least nerdy. Us common folk can understand. Yeah. So the least nerdy uh, is, is that if you look at a sit-up, it is by no means something that helps you do anything functional in daily life other than pull yourself up off the couch from laying down. Like if you are teaching someone how to have like a strong and stable trunk, teaching them how to do a sit-up does not help them in any way, shape or form. Like if you're teaching someone how to do a deadlift and you're like, okay, now like do a crunch and like stabilize your low back. Like that is literally just putting them into a horrible position with a really increased pressure in their disc for a disc injury. Same thing. If you're seeing someone at the bottom of the squat, which is the, like the whole of a squat is by far the most difficult part of a squat to stabilize in. And you want them to do a sit up to stabilize their trunk during the, in that position. Again, like you are just setting themselves up for injury. Like it is one of the most unfunctional movements that you could ever teach someone to do. Secondly, the most common type of low back pain by and large is referred to as flexion intolerant low back pain. Whereas, so if we look at statistically 80% of people at any per, at any point in time are going to have low back pain, more than 50% of it is flexion intolerant. So this means that if you round out or flex your low back, that makes your back pain worse. Think of if you are sitting for a prolonged period of time, you're on a road trip, you're sitting at your desk for eight hours a day doing your work and your back pain and your back doesn't feel fantastic after that. That is flexion intolerant low back pain. And a very common thing that has been, you know, age old adage is that if you have back pain, you have to strengthen your core. Sweet. Let's do a 10 sets of a hundred sit-ups which is just repeated flexion, repeated flexion of, of your low back. 
Yeah. It's like, perfect. Let's just continue to do the provocative motion of your low back pain to make your back pain better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And then finally is that, so sit-ups are the idea of the sit-up is to get a really strong six-pack muscle. So that, that six-pack muscle is called your rectus abdominis. So your abdominal wall has four layers to it. You have your trans versus abdominis, your internal beast, external beast, and finally your rectus abdominis. And your rectus abdominis, again, is that six-pack muscle sitting at the front. Your six-pack is one muscle with connective tissue striations throughout it. You have your linea alba going directly down the front, kind of splitting like your core up in half. And then you have those more horizontal ones that give you your six-pack. First of all, if you do a thousand sit-ups a day for a year, you're not going to spontaneously grow eight. You cannot get an eight pack just by doing a bunch of sit-ups. Those connective tissue striations are put there genetically. If you have eight, sweet, you got eight. If you have six, you have six. You're not going to change that by doing a whole bunch of sit-ups. The actual purpose of those connective tissue striations is not to do sit-ups. So the proper form of stabilizing your low back is through something called intra-abdominal pressure. Really quick and dirty explanation of this is that you have your thoracic diaphragm that hangs out that separates your chest cavity from your abdominal cavity. When your thoracic diaphragm contracts, it depresses down and squishes against all the organs surrounding your abdomen, squishing them out to the front, to the sides, and into our back. This does a fantastic job of stabilizing our low back because it causes all of those muscles of our abdominal wall that, have having, that has organs being squished out into them. They contract to resist the movement of those organs. The rectus abdominis in particular has a really important function in this because those connective tissue striations are essentially, they're the same function as those rivets of a grain bin. They are designed to literally manage and mitigate the force of that pressure so that our abdominal muscles don't just tear open. So, and their job, that six pack muscle, its job is to mitigate internal forces, not to repeatedly flex your low back when you already have low back pain. And not to just look cool for the sake of looking cool. Also, that doesn't even get into that. Even if you've got six, they're not going to show just because you did a thousand setups. Exactly. So what is your most recommended or some of your most recommended core exercises then when it comes to that stabilization? Mm-hmm. So honestly, first and foremost, people have to learn how to properly like use their diaphragm and diaphragmatically breathe. Like if you can't properly use your diaphragm, you don't have like it's not possible for you to properly stabilize your low back then once you're able to create that diaphragmatic movement and stabilize your low back through intra-abdominal pressure i take i take my patients through a series of exercises that takes them through all the different planes of motion so like the dead bug is a really fantastic exercise to go through that uh well-performed side bridge is incredibly underrated for how awesome it can be. But with the side bridge, it doesn't mean that you get a really lazy shoulder and just let everything kind of slouch together. Like a properly done side bridge is works the shoulders, works your trunk, works your hips. Like it's, it's a hard exercise when done properly. And then you can even get into some awesome exercises like, um, like a suitcase carry, a kettlebell carry. Um, and then to get into other planes of motion, you can get into like paloff press or paloff press isometric holds and everything like that. And again, even like within trunk stability, people can kind of pigeonhole themselves into only doing something for like three sets of 10 on a cable machine. 
when like our trunk is like any other muscle that needs to be athletic. It needs to be athletic in numerous different ways. Yes, it needs to be strong. It also needs to have endurance to it. It also needs to be powerful. Like our trunk stabilizers are something that are functioning literally every minute of every day. So if all we do is ever train it in 30 second bursts, but you want to go for a half an hour run, are you really training your trunk stabilizers to be functional in your activity of choice? And I mean, oh, running is a perfect example where then you get into so many of the injuries that come are compensation injuries where if the breathing was right and then the core was right, the injury, like, I mean, you see it all the time. So, and I know you love kettlebells, which I think are so perfect for that trunk stabilization and that core work, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is why I love conversations like this, because I think it's undoing a lot of bad advice that we've seen over the years. And I might, I see it all the time with nutrition, like the anti-fat, you know, fat phobia, you know, even just in terms of like approaches to not just Cairo, but also training, which is such a big part of what you do in terms of, you know, that prevention. So, all right, our time is coming to an end before you go. I didn't prepare you for this, but I've got five rapid fire questions. They're not not always quite so rapid, but I know you'll have great, uh, great recommendations. So first of all, who is your biggest role model or your biggest role models? I got a couple big role models. Um, at this point, the most of them are chiropractors. Uh, two of like two of them I really really look up to. One, his name is Dr. Corey Campbell, and the other is Dr. Brett Winchester. Uh, the reason that I look up to both of these guys is one, like you can you can say those names in any in the majority of chiropractic rooms that have you know any any salt to their bones, and they know who those guys are because they're incredible at what they do. Like they teach seminars all around the world, but they also have their priorities in place. Like they also make sure that after every seminar they teach, they they will purposefully organize their flights home so that they can still go to see their kids' ball games. Like they know what matters. So like not only are they incredible at what they do, but they also have just an, such a well-rounded life with their priorities in place that I couldn't respect them more. Well, and great role models, especially in terms of the point we were talking about your identity, not being totally consumed with your career. I think guys like that are priceless to have as role models. Uh, What is the best advice you've ever received? Jeez, this is a tough question. You're tossing out at me that I'm not ready for. It's okay. We can come back to it. Okay. Can we come back to that one, please? There's a sign on the, there's a sign on the wall behind you. What's it, what does it say? Is that something we can steal? Uh, It says be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. All right. Well, if you don't think of anything, we'll say it's that. (laughs) That's the, okay. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Uh, It's like a hobby lobby sign. That's the best advice you've ever received. Best book or resource you'd recommend to people. Oh my goodness. That's also a very tough question. You don't have to pick just one. Okay. Um, one of the biggest books that kind of started my, like started my journey. I think it started a lot of people's journey is Simon Sinek, uh, start with why, mm-hmm. um, like that was a huge read and just kind of understanding, like going it deeper into like what you do and understanding like the truer purpose into what you do and, like yeah that was for me that was a bit of a game-changing read um yeah I'll, I'll stick with that one that was, a, that was a good book for me 
Uh, I couldn't agree more. What is your personal mantra or words to live by? I got them in a way actually kind of tattooed. Um, I have four uh, greater signs tattooed on my kind of right forearm. And I want to, my, so my dreams are greater than my fears. I want to leave people greater than when I met them. I want to leave my profession greater than when I started it. Um, and I want to leave the world greater than when I entered it. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I feel like one day somebody's going to say that's the best advice they ever received. And it came from you. That's a good that's one. That's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah. So, okay. Did you think of it some advice? Honestly, the greatest advice I probably ever learned, like probably ever had was just to constantly learn. And like, especially with what I do, like constantly learn and never really just like sacrifice like yourself for what you do is there can be a million people pulling me you in a million different directions. And like, I'm sure you feel the same thing with like what you do for a profession and it entails a lot of care. And some then like caring for others, and sometimes it's tough to leave that care for others totally. at work and not take it with you. Yeah. So kind of like not sacrificing yourself for that care is really, really important. Yeah, and it's tough. I think anyone in the wellness industry struggles with that. You yeah. know, like I very loosely have said in the past, more so as an exercise for myself your urgency is not my emergency, but I say that in the most gentle way where of course I'm here for all of the emergencies, but not everything is an emergency. And it's not that my clients necessarily make it seem that way. I do. It's like, I need to respond immediately. I can't leave you hanging and nor do they expect that. So I think that's great. And again, like all of these insights are just reason as to why you're going to have such longevity within your career and, you know, even more success than you already have. So speaking of your success for all of those who I know are going to want to find you, learn more about you, keep up to date with what you're doing, where can they do that? Yeah. So they can find me a couple places on Instagram. If you want to like follow me personally, I don't mind. It's not nearly as exciting. Uh, it's Dr. K Gribba at Dr. Cape Gerba uh, on Instagram. And if you want to f- follow me professionally, it's at e3chiro.yxe. Uh, you can find my website, e3chiropractic.com. And if you have any questions about any sort of pain, discomfort, specifically low back, shoulder, neck, anything like that, I would love to chat with you, answer any questions that you still have about chiropractic care. I'd love to chat. Yeah, and I have to say, you guys, I have known Curtis since he started his professional Cairo page. He put so much work and care and attention into providing so much valuable content. Truly, if you take the time to read everything he posts, you will learn so much. It's priceless. And also the like before and after videos of treatments, I find very satisfying. So Thank Thank you you. so much, Curtis. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. We will make sure that all of your resources are linked on the website and I will talk to you soon. Awesome, Kelly. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode every Sunday. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. There will be more details about this episode, previous episodes, and upcoming episodes at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, 
be kind to others, and I will see you next week. Keep yourself well.